we are so glad to be here, and um, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to begin to speak. We're, we're starting this new series now called Charting the Course. Um, we're going to talk for the next five weeks about what it looks like for us at North Point to pursue God as a church. Um, when I first became acquainted with North Point, when, when I first got kind of the profile of the church, it was five pages and it talked about the history, talked about who the players were, what was going on, what God had been doing here. And um, I read through that to try and get a sense of, of who the church was. Went to the website and, and went through the website. And on the, on the welcome page of the website, the second page, there's an interesting thing. It, it, it says that as a church... Oh, boy, I just lost it. I think I have it written down. Um, the, the mission of the church is to help people move towards a life fully committed to Jesus. Is that pretty close? Uh, yeah. Um, that, and, and we do that by asking people to commit to three things. To commit to worship, to commit to connect, and to commit to serve. And as I've thought about how I see the church and what God has called the church to be, those three things fit very well. They're, they're going to be the three things that we talk about um, over the next five weeks, uh, some other things as well in terms of what God has called us to do and be as a church. Today we're going to talk about worship. If, if we're to be the church that God has called us to, we need to honor God with lives that are full of worship. And, um, and that's where we're going today. Um, about a year ago, there's a guy uh, in Seattle named Tim Connors. You probably don't recognize that name. About a year ago, in August last year, he spent $100. He went to a tattoo parlor, and he got this tattoo. Can you see that? He lives in Seattle, Washington, and he got a tattoo last August that said, uh, what, what was this last year? Uh, 48, Super Bowl 48 champs with the Seattle Seahawks logo on his wrist. Um, nobody knew much about it. He wore long sleeves. His friends and family knew about it. Spent $100 just kind of in oblivion until Seattle just raced through the schedule last year, destroying people. They got into the playoffs, and all of a sudden, um, someone in the press found out that this guy had gotten Super Bowl champs um, tattooed onto his arm months in advance of the Super Bowl. Now, if you remember the NFL last year, um, Seattle went, went ahead and won. That This guy is a fan. He's committed to the Seahawks completely. Not to be outdone, I found this story that just recently happened. Go to the next slide. There's a guy in um, Grand Blanc, Michigan, that just got a tattoo that says, I don't know if you can see it too well, yeah, it says 2015 Super Bowl champs, Detroit Lions. Uh, so, <laughs> I love it. Oh, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, we live in a culture, God wired us to worship something. I think if, if you were to describe the American culture and said, um, what is it that's the prevailing thing that's worshipped in America? It's, it's probably sports and entertainment. It may be leisure. Um, a great question for us is to think about what is it that we worship on a, on a daily basis? What is it that our lives are consumed by? What is it that our minds focus on? What is it that 
demands our attention because that's the thing that we worship. If we're to be a church that's serious about following God, we have to be a church that's committed to worship. Not committed to a great band, not committed to a great sound, but committed to worshiping the God of the universe. If you have your Bibles, uh, take them out and turn to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, there's the encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well. I, actually, I'm going yeah, to read from up there. Um, and if you remember, Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Judea to Galilee. They travel through Samaria. In Samaria, um, the, Samaria is a, a place that, that good Jews wouldn't go, and yet they cut through Samaria to kind of take a shortcut to get to Galilee. And in, in that time, Jesus is tired. He sits down at a well. He sends the disciples away, and he has an encounter with this woman from Samaria who, um, who clearly is not a, a godly woman. She's, uh, she's on her fifth husband. Jesus talks to her about that. And in the midst of Jesus exposing light into her life, she says, she, she kind of diverts attention and says, you know, the, the, the Jews say that you should worship God here. We say up here, what do we do? And Jesus responds and says this, so the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Oftentimes when we talk about worship in the context of American church, we talk about it in, in the context of music. Oh, how was worship today? And, and oftentimes what that means is, how was the band? You know, how did the vocals do? Did it, did it make me feel good? Um, what, was, what was that sense of what happened on Sunday morning? And clearly that's not what Jesus is talking about when he talks to, the, to this woman at the well. He says, if you're going to worship, you've got to worship in spirit and in truth. What's that mean? Commentators say a lot of different things, but essentially it's, it's two different kind of thoughts that are engaged when we worship God. One is our hearts. That's the spirit piece. That our hearts are fully engaged. And the, and the truth part is based on who God is, but I think that it reflects on our intellect, on our minds. That when we worship, it's all about our head and our heart coming together as we encounter God. As I was kind of meditating on that this week, as I was thinking through what that means, um, I, I had kind of this harsh reality that struck me, a, a, a truth that was sobering. And that's oftentimes when we come collectively to worship, neither our hearts nor our heads are engaged in worship. Oftentimes we come because it's what we do on Sunday morning. That's the expectation for us. And neither our head nor our heart is engaged in worship. Those times when our head and heart are engaged, when we have this deep appreciation, understanding of who God is based on Scripture, when we see God for who He is, and our hearts are ready for the Spirit to connect us with Him, that there's this sense of overwhelming response to Him, to the goodness of God in worship. And that's what 
we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. Um, I, when I think back over my life, I'm, I, I just am looking so forward to you guys getting to know us and me getting to know you. So it's story time with Rick this morning, all right? Um, I can remember probably five different times in my life that have been those moments of worship that were just transforming. Um, some of you are shaking your head. Th- this week on Facebook, I asked some friends, can, can, you, can you just write for me memorable times of worship? Let me, let me share the five that I can point to very clearly. The first is when I was in sixth grade. I was at Camp Christian in Houston, Ohio. Um, God had been working on me, and I can remember going to bed, laying in the top bunk as a sixth grader, looking out through the window and, and, and just being reduced to, um, to, to jello thinking. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. The, 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 about the third verse of, of the hymn, How Great Thou Art. There was this sense of the presence of God in my bunk at camp that would, it, it, it changed everything for me. My second, my second um, picture in my head was, uh, I was probably about 30 years old. I was in the mountains of Honduras and we shared in a communion time as the sun came up in the mountains with people that um, I couldn't speak the same language. And there was this sense of how big God is. that It, it, it changed everything for me. Um, the, the, uh, the third picture, and some of you may have been there, uh, um, a number of years ago, probably 97, 98, somewhere in there, um, Promise Keepers was big and had the million man um, march in Washington. We had just moved out to Missouri and I came back to Washington for that time. And, and we had lived in D.C. at that point about 12 years um, but we love the, the city. We loved being there. And so coming back was, was incredible. But then to go downtown and to see the mall flooded with a million men who worshipped together was incredible. It, it gave me this picture of the vastness of heaven and what it means to, to be in God's presence. Just an incredible time of connection of my heart and my head, my knowledge of who God is and how much he loved me. Just a few weeks later, I had a completely different kind of experience. We had lived in, in Washington for 12 years. I had been a, in, I had been a minister at a church uh, there for 12 years. My kids were little, had grown up there. Um, our lives revolved around the church. All of our relationships were in the context of the church. And we moved from Washington, D.C. to Joplin, Missouri. Not even to Joplin, Missouri. We moved to Webb City, Missouri, outside of Joplin. And not even Webb City. We actually lived outside of Orinogo, which was a little speck outside of Webb City, which was outside of Joplin. Um, We moved there not knowing anyone. And our... um, uh, the, the reality was we had gone from our life being surrounded by people who loved us and cared about us to going to, into an environment where, where we were desperately lonely. I loved my job teaching at the college, 
but we didn't know anyone. And Sundays for me, rather than being a time of celebration, were this time of intense loneliness for the church that we'd left. I remember walking into to the worship service that morning, and I had been a music minister for about 17 years, and I had always talked about worship and said, you know, it's so important that you be engaged, that you sing, that you clap, that you participate. And in that, in that particular moment, I can still see it in my eyes. As we sang, I couldn't open my mouth. I was so desperate for God's presence. I was so desperate for this sense of his love for me. I was so lonely in that context that all I needed was him, and I couldn't sing a lick. I couldn't do anything because of the presence, of my need for the presence of God and him, him um, telling me that he was enough, that I didn't have to have all the people, that he was enough. Um, my, my fifth picture happened um, uh, probably 10 years later. Um, in 2007, our, our oldest son, Joe, had been diagnosed with, um, with a congenital heart defect, when he was 12 years old, he had lived for 12 years with, with uh, an aorta that, was, that had been pinched almost shut. So there was very little blood flow to the lower part of his body, and we didn't know it until he turned 12. Um, he was scheduled to go into surgery, and you know what they say about surgery. Uh, any surgery that happens to you is not minor surgery. Well, open heart surgery is not minor surgery. And I know that they do that surgery lots and lots, but they don't do it to my son very often. And, and the, the seriousness of that surgery and his condition, his, his life was in danger. And I remember the Sunday before the surgery in worship, realizing that God could take Joe home. And if that was okay... And in the midst of those songs, um, being ministered to, to recognize that God is God and sovereign and loves us no matter what. In life or in death, he loves us. If we're to be a church of worship, when we come together, our heads and our hearts have to be consumed with who God is. We can't go through the motions. We've got to engage in a very direct and powerful way. Uh, turn to Psalm 63. And I want to share another scripture that, that, um, that expresses that desperation for God in an incredible way. The, the psalmist says, So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. You know, uh, go ahead and flip to the next one. Oh, you know what? I need the first two verses. Sorry about that. Are they there? That's what I want. Thanks. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I'll get get to the last two verses in just a second. There's this picture of us in the desert longing for water. And that's the picture 
of our desperate need for God. I want to challenge you is when, when we come to worship on Sunday, Sunday morning, when we come collectively together to worship, let Psalm 63, those first two verses, roll through your minds that there's this sense that we are, that, that we are consumed with our need for God when we come into His presence. Because that's the reality. We try and fill our lives with all kinds of other stuff. With sports, with entertainment, with money, with all kinds of stuff. And only God can fill that void. Uh, It's very easy in worship to make worship about us. You know, to say, oh, I like this, I don't like this. This is the way I want it. Uh, I don't really want it that way. And recognize that when we come to worship, when God is the one who can fill us, that it's only about Him. It's not about our preferences. It's not about what we want. It's all about Him. And when we focus on Him, when we see Him as the water in the dry and thirsty land, um, everything else kind of fades in the background. You know what the, the uh, best-selling book in history is other than the Bible? It's Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life, which is kind of interesting. The best-selling book in the history of man, except for the Bible. You know what the first words of The Purpose Driven Life are? It's not about you. Huh. That's scary. I had a friend that, that we did 40 days of purpose and um, read the first sentence, it's not about you, shut the book and said, I don't want to do this. Literally, because his mindset was, you know what, it is about me. Everything in life is about me. That's the question. Who is life about for you? Um, in American culture, we, we, have, um, we have taken into our culture this sense of of me-focusedness that bleeds over into the church. Um, today's worship, love, 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 love the, the music, the content of the songs because it was all about God. It's easy in our worship to have it be about us, how I feel, you know, that God is my God and he is. But when we sense who God is, that he's the God of creation, that he's the God of redemption, that he loves us individually, all of a sudden our perspective changes dramatically. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Because I think that when we start talking about if we want to be a church of worship, if we're calling people to be committed to worship, and that involves our head and our heart, that involves this desperation of God, there's another concept I think that's, that's absolutely key and it's this Paul says I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship as a music minister I I wrestled with that with those last few words um, over and over and over again because as a musician you think oh worship is tied to music Present your bodies as a living sacrifice because that's your spiritual act of worship. What's that, what's that mean? Here's, here's the key, and you've probably heard this before over and over again. 
but we've got to internalize it and live it out. Our spiritual act of worship is to give ourselves to God completely, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Worship is not something that happens between 9 and 10.15 on Sunday morning. Worship is not something that happens when our small group gets together and it's isolated to that. Worship is the every moment expression of our relationship with Jesus. Um, when, I was at, when I was at the college and I was teaching about worship, we talked a lot about what happens in corporate worship in a setting like this. And it was interesting to hear the students talk about that, to put that into language. And, and what they described was, okay, when everybody comes together, there is this sense that each person individually is connecting with God. That in a room like this, we've got you know, 250 people individually collecting with God. And that's true, but there's something I think that's, that's much more significant in that. And that's when we come together collectively, um, there is an expression of our worship that happens as the body that honors God and that helps us understand who God is better. When we worship this morning and we look around at the people that we're, that, that we're interacting with in life and we realize, oh man, that person over there, they're struggling financially and God has taken care of them. All of a sudden, that changes our understanding of who God is. When I look and see Mike and Karen Sweet and, and know that Mike lost his dad this week, you know what? All of a sudden, my understanding of who God is is much bigger than, than my own little world. When we come together corporately, our worship is the expression of what's going on in our lives individually during the week. Here's the challenge for you. Um, if, if, if you come out of church on Sunday morning, if you come out of our corporate meeting time together, and you say, eh, I didn't get much today, it's probably because you didn't have much personal time of worship in the week leading up to, the, to that time. Because when we come together corporately, it's the corporate celebration, the corporate connection of what God has been doing individually in our lives throughout the week. Worship isn't just singing. It's not just giving. It's not just prayer. It's not, um, it's, it's, it is the entire expression of what's going on in our lives as we give it back to God. How do we do that? I, um, I'm going to come back to that just in just a couple of minutes. Turn, turn with me to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 5. I put up there um, page numbers on the, on the scriptures. Second um, Chronicles chapter 5, uh, verse 11 through 14 is where we're going to go. Um, those page numbers correspond to the Bibles that are, that are um, in the backs of the pews, uh, if that helps you get there. Um, Let's just read together. And here's the context of this. Um, the temple is being dedicated to God. Um, you know, David starts the temple. Solomon builds the temple. And, and when the Ark of the Covenant comes in, there is this dedication service that's unbelievable. Listen to what, how Chronicles describes it. When the priest came out of the holy place, 
For all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jejuthun, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. When the Ark of the Covenant came in, and the corporate worship happened, and it was expression of head and heart together, who God was. God's presence was so strong that the priests couldn't perform their duties. When I think about the kind of church I want to be a part of, I want it to be a Second Chronicles 5 kind of church. I want there to be this sense when we worship, that God's presence is so strong that it's the expression of what God has been doing during the week and that expression is so strong that people who are here as seekers, people who are here who are trying to figure out who God is, that they are pulled in directly into the presence of God, that they fall in love with Him because of what they experience in that time of worship. Let me, let me bring everything together. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Jason. I've got, I think, four or five questions that I just want you to wrestle with. Feel free to write these down on the, on the notes page in your bulletin if you have one of those. This is what I want you to wrestle with this week. Who or what do you worship? It's easy to just kind of default and say to God, but I've I got to tell you, as I've been thinking through the, my message this week, there, there's a, that's a hard question. Who is it that my thoughts are consumed about? Is it, you know, is it entertainment? Is it um, sports team? Is it money? Is it security? Is it just about myself? You know, who is it what is it that I worship? Second question. What steps can you take to worship God every moment of the day? I, I don't want to lay that out for you because I think for everybody it's different. But let me just throw some ideas for you, by you. One idea is when you wake up in the morning, um, whether it's having a note in the bathroom, having a note by your bedside, doing something that immediately can trigger Psalm 63 or some expression that says, God, today is your day. And let that be the start of your day. It may be that as you travel, that you listen to music or scripture that takes you into the presence of God. It may be that, that you set your phone to trigger every half hour or hour to just give you one beep. And that beep says, think about God. So that, you're, so that every day of your life, every moment of the day, you have this awareness of what God is doing 
in your life. Next question. It's a hard question. Have I made worship about me? That's, that's a hard question for us as participants. It's a hard question for people in the band. It's a hard question for, um, for those of us who are brand new. It's a hard question for those of us who have been around for lots of years. Have I made worship about me? Because in order for worship to be what God has, has asked for it to be, it's got to be about him. Next, next slide. It's another hard question. What's going on in my heart that's revealed as we worship? I don't know about you, but it's easy for my mind to wander, to just go lots of places, to be thinking about my stomach, to be thinking about what's going to happen in the afternoon, to be thinking about um, that issue that's there that just has been consuming me. It's easy to think about me. And when we worship, when we're in the presence of Almighty God, um, everything should be focused on Him. When that's not happening, that should cause us to take inventory of what's going on inside us. What's it take to be a Second Chronicles 5 kind of church? We've got to worship in spirit and truth, our head and our heart engaged in that process. We need a desperation for God. We need to live a life that 24-7 is, is all about um, being aware of what God is doing in our, in our lives on a daily basis. Band, if you'd come up or come out, I'm not sure where you guys are. Um, and, um, and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have an opportunity to just respond in worship again. God, we come to you right now aware of our humanness probably more than anything. God, forgive us when we have have listened to the lie of Satan, when we've made worship about us, when we've allowed ourselves to be distracted God, when we just haven't cared, help us, Lord, get a glimpse of your glory. God, you are the God of the universe. You are the God who made each of us. You are the God involved in every moment in history. God, you are the God who loved us so much that you sent Jesus for us. Help us to worship you with our whole hearts. God, help us to worship with our minds fully engaged on who you are. God, collectively right now, we ask that you would help us be a church of worship, a church of worshipers. God, that... that your presence would be so strong that as soon as people encounter your presence, they would be drawn to you. 
God, do your work in us. Teach us, Lord, to worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.